I want to start off by just uh, recognizing that it was Veterans Day on Friday. I want to say thank you to all of those, those of you who, who are veterans who have served, those of you who have family members that have served. One of the ways I think we can make the most of Veterans Day is to make the most of the freedoms that our veterans have provided for us. So we sing boldly, we open God's word and proclaim it boldly, uh, in part because of the freedoms that our veterans have provided for us. So thank you if you are a veteran here with us this morning. My name is John Vanderveld. I serve here as the executive pastor. It's a joy to preach this morning, uh, to be with you all and to be in God's word this morning. Before we jump in, I just want to share a, a brief story, uh, one that just encouraged me incredibly uh, this week. I went to get my hair cut. I try to get my hair cut before I preach. I don't know. It's weird, but I needed a haircut pretty bad. I went on to this, you use an app to schedule your appointment, and the guy that I normally go to was gone. So I went to a new guy, which is, it's not complicated, but there's always uh, that moment of you got to get to know somebody new, explain to them, you know, what you like. Sat down in the chair, went over the basics. What are we doing today? You know, yada, yada, yada. Get to that point in the conversation where he says, so what do you do? And when you're someone in my profession, that can either be a good part of the conversation or a conversation killer. I said, well, I'm a pastor. He said, oh, no way. Started chatting about that a little bit. He said, what church do you, do you pastor in? And I said, Glen Allen Bible Church. He's like, Glen Allen Bible Church. He goes, we cut so many people's hair from Glen Allen Bible Church here in the barbershop. <laughs> oh, yeah, great. He goes, you know, I can always tell when somebody is from Glen Allen Bible Church because whenever they get in here, they talk about church and they constantly invite people to come. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> It, it just, incur it was so encouraging because there's that moment, you know, where it could go one way or the other. Maybe he was just trying to be nice, but he did say, he said, I think I've been invited to your church by six different people. I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty encouraging. So way to go, GBC. Keep it up. That's what we're doing. That's what we're here to do, right? Be in the community, inviting people, telling people about the experience of church, living lives for Christ wherever we go, whoever we interact with. So Way to go. Our mission is to help people follow Jesus, and we want to keep up that good work here in Glen Allen, here in Wheaton, in our community. So nice job. All right, let's jump into Deuteronomy this morning. We've got three, three Sundays left in the book of Deuteronomy. You may be thinking to yourself, how on earth are we going to cover all of the content that remains? Because there's like a dozen chapters left. We've kind of been going chapter at a time. We're not. <laughs> we're not going to cover all the chapters between 20 and the end of Deuteronomy. We're going to fast forward. We're going to skip several chapters in the 20s that go through some very detailed and specific laws uh, for the nation of Israel. Really detailed stuff, uh, unique stuff uh, that's really for them as a people at that time. So we're going to fast forward. We're going to skip ahead. We're going to be in chapters 28, 29, 30, and 31 this morning. Don't worry. I'm not going to read all of that text. I'm not going to preach through all of that text this morning. I'm going to pull out some highlights, 
keep us going through that section. But the reason that we're covering 28, 29, 30, and 31 is because that section of Deuteronomy is what's known as the blessings and the curses. So if we remind ourselves where we are in the the story here, where the people of Israel are on the plains of Moab, Moses has gathered them all together. He's been teaching them the law, going through law after law after law, reminding the people to follow God's law, obey the law, remember the commandments, remember the covenant, stick with me as you go into the promised land and it will go well with you. And he consistently reminds them, right, if they, if they choose not to do that, if they choose not to fulfill their end of the covenant, they choose not to follow God's command, it will go poorly for you, Israel. So we're here at the final teaching of the law, kind of the final scene, the, the ending of the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses has gathered everybody around. He's gathered all the people around and he's He's going to lay out for them really specifically what happens to them if they follow the law, if they remain faithful to God in the new land. And then he outlines very specifically what happens if they don't. So let's pick it up. Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 and 2. Moses says this to the people gathered, if you fully obey the Lord your God, and carefully follow all his commands I give you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Moses then goes through the next 12 verses and he outlines really specifically the blessings that Israel will have if they remain faithful, if they follow God, if they obey the Lord's commands. Things like peace and security, prosperity, your crops will flourish and you'll have this incredibly bountiful experience in the land. God will be your God and you will be his people. It's this paints this beautiful picture of these blessings and this this connection with God and this prosperity that they will experience. Moses then goes on. We'll pick it up again at verse 15. He says, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and you do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Moses then spends the next 53 verses outlining what those curses will look like. Church, it is not pretty. There's actually some really horrific stuff that's outlined in that section. You can go back and read it later today. If the Israelites choose not to follow God, not to obey him, these curses will come on them because they'll worship other gods, bow down to other gods, They'll forsake the Lord. They'll rebel against him. They'll turn on him. And these these curses will come upon them and they will become a horrible people. Moses says to them, Moses says to them after outlining these blessings and curses, he says to them, it's it's time now. It's time now to to choose. We, We need to gather together and we need to renew the covenant as a community together. So we pick it up in chapter 29, verse 9. 
He's gathered the young and the old and the families and children and the elders and the priests. And he says, now's the time. We, we need to renew this covenant. He says, carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day and his people that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant with, it, with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. So that'd be future generations, your children. So he says, Israel, now is the time. Now's the time. We're about to enter the land. Now is the time. Remember the covenant. Let's renew the covenant. Let's believe it in our hearts. Moses then goes one more time to remind the people that if you don't, if you don't renew the covenant, if you don't believe the covenant, if you don't follow the law, if you don't live up to your end of the deal, you will face ruin. Moses says that the, the people of the earth will see your sorry state and they will ask, well, what happened? What happened to these people? What happened to this once great nation? And Moses says this in 29, 25 through 27. He says, the answer will be when, when the nations around you, the nations of the earth are look at you and they, they see you in this terrible state. They're going to ask themselves, what happened? We're, we're, wasn't this God's nation? What happened to these people? And the answer will be, it's because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their ancestors. The covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt, they went off. They worshiped other gods and they bowed down to them, gods that they did not know, gods he had not given them. Therefore, the Lord's anger burned against this land so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. What's interesting, though, is that it doesn't end there. Moses then goes on as he's outlining these blessings and curses and he's talking about the future and what's going to happen with Israel. He goes on to say in chapter 30, when all these blessings and curses that I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart, whenever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are all written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We see here Moses is, he's prophesying. He's predicting, he's, he's prophesying about what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. Church, what's going to happen with the nation of Israel? What Moses is saying is they're about to go on a roller coaster ride, right? A roller coaster ride of, of faithfulness and unfaithfulness, of blessings and curses. 
that they're going to, some generations are going to depart, other generations are going to return. Moses is prophesying about what is going to happen to the nation of Israel. They'll have times of peace in the land and then times that they're carried off into captivity or that they're under the ruling, under the authority of another nation. Moses is saying, I'm laying out for you blessings and curses. All these wonderful blessings you can have and all these curses that could come upon you. And he says to them, in chapter 30 at the end, he says, ultimately Moses says, I have set before you life and death. You choose. I set before you life and death, Israel. You choose. He's prophesying. He's prophesying about, about what is going to happen to the nation of Israel. All right, as we move into chapter 31, as we move into chapter 31, look, we covered three chapters right there, guys. Nice job, way to hang on. As we move into chapter 31, Moses knows that his time of leadership is about to end. Right? We've talked about this before. Moses was not going to be allowed to enter the promised land. And it's at this moment that Moses says, okay, I've got to turn over leadership to somebody else. Somebody else is going to, is going to lead the generation, lead this, these people in this next generation into the land. And he, he chooses Joshua. And chapter 31 is this, this is some beautiful encouragement given to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. That's where this, this comes from. Moses says, be strong and courageous. You got this, Joshua. You can do this. Follow God. Be true to him. He builds him up. And, and we also read here that Moses is he's closing the book of the law. It says that Moses had written all these things down in, in a book. And he gives that book to the priests. And he tells them, keep this in the Ark of the Covenant. So there's this physical thing that Moses passes on to the priests and to the people of Israel. Don't forget this. It's right here for you. You can open it up. You can read. Verses 9 and 26 cover this. And so this leadership handoff is about to take place. And God calls Moses and Joshua together in his presence. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but there's a, a pillar of cloud there and there's, he gathers them together. God is in their midst as this leadership transfer happens. And Moses builds him up and he encourages Joshua. And then he says this kind of as an aside, like as it's about, as the, the, the handoff is about to happen, he says to Joshua in verse 29 of chapter 31, he says, man, for I know that after my death, you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn from the way I have commanded you. In the days to come, disaster will fall on you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and arouse his anger by what your hands have made. Well, boy, thanks, Moses. Isn't that encouraging? Guys, Moses is prophesying. He's telling Joshua, it's not going to go well. The blessings and curses that I wrote in here are going to come true. And it's important that you hold on to this law because the people are going to need to know how to return to God. 
how to do right in the land that's coming, that, that land that they're heading to. What's interesting for us, we get this, this unique privilege, right? This, this unique advantage of, of, of where we are today in, in light of all that's gone on, right? We, we get to stand here today and we get to look back at what Moses said. And we get the privilege of asking ourselves the question, was Moses right? Was, was Moses right? Did all this happen the way that he prophesied? Did all this happen the way that he said? See, we can ask that question because we know that there is an answer. If we were to look ahead and ask ourselves, that's, that's the beauty of prophecy. When we find prophecy in scripture, we can look at it and we can say, did this come true? We can look for the answer or, or is this something that's outstanding yet that God is going to fill, fulfill later? Well, in this case, Moses is prophesying specifically about the nation of Israel so we can look and we can find the answer. Did this all come true? So if we look in, in the book of Judges, and we look in the books of First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings, we can, we can look at about a thousand years of Israel's history. And here's some of the highlights. After they enter the land, in just one generation, the people forsake God. They rebel almost immediately upon entering the land, and they begin to worship other gods. If we go into the book of Judges, there's 14 of them. And the judges are, are sent to rule the people of Israel and to, to tell them, to indict them and then invite them back to covenant faithfulness. And we see through the book of Judges this roller coaster that Israel goes on where they abandon God and they forsake God and they rebel against God. And then the judges come and they indict them. You cannot live like this anymore. And then the people weep and they're cut to the heart and they respond and they follow what Moses outlines for them in the book of the law. And then they return to God. And then they do it over and over and over and over again. Well, after the judges come, the, the nation of Israel cries out for a king. And there's this, this reign through three kings. It's called the Golden Age of Israel. They're a unified kingdom under Saul, under David, and under Solomon. And then after Solomon, towards the end of Solomon's reign and, and his sons that follow, the, king, the kingdom begins to, to sway and they're no longer following the covenant and they're, and they're starting to worship other gods. And what happens then is the kingdom is divided. And we have a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah. And the northern kingdom does not last very long. In 1721 BC, they're actually conquered by Assyria and the nation is over. Judah, though, continues on. And there's this litany of, of bad kings and a sprinkling in of good kings. It says, uh, most of the kings did evil in the eyes of God. You, some kings did good in God's sight. But we, 
we see this roller coaster continue where the nation and the people of God are. They go and they, they become unfaithful and they worship other gods and they, they build temples to Baals, Asherah to poles. All sorts of evil is done. And then you'll have a king emerge and bring the people back. Repent of their evil ways and do good in God's sight. This roller coaster continues. Well, and then Judah. Judah then ultimately, because of Manasseh's leadership, one of the last kings of Judah, Israel or uh, Judah is brought into captivity and they're carried off. The temple is destroyed, the land is burned, the kings are gone, and a remnant of people is carried off to Babylon. And then 70 years later, a small group returns to Judah under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they rebuild the temple and they rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And then for 400 years, there's silence until the birth of Jesus. If you're an Old Testament historian, my apologies for the Cliff Notes version. But that's basically what happens. I share that with you because I want you to see that Moses was right. He was spot on. He knew his people would be a stiff-necked people. He prophesied that they would not always enjoy the blessings, that they would often feel the curses, that they would need to, in their sinfulness, return to God. We can definitely say, without a doubt, that Moses was right. But here's what's most interesting to me. Follow me along here as we make our way to the end of the sermon this morning. What's most interesting to me is if we look at that prophecy that Moses gave in Deuteronomy about what's going to happen to the people of God, the nation of Israel, and we dig into it a little bit and we, we look at the book of Joshua and we look at the book of Judges and we look at First and Second Chronicles and we look at First and Second Kings to, to figure out if Moses was right and to understand why he would give that prophecy to the nation of Israel. What's, what's most interesting to me, what impacts my life the most in doing that work, what changes my thoughts, what encourages my heart the most, is to look at the stories of the nation of Israel that, that Moses prophesied about, to look at the times, to look at the stories, to look at the instances where Israel got it right. To look at those moments, to look at those moments where some hero of the faith stood up and said, no more. We're not doing this anymore, Israel. We're not worshiping these gods anymore. We're not, we're not going to these temples to the Baals anymore. Enough is enough. It's time to return to the book of the law and be the people of God. Man, those are the stories, I don't know about you, that just 
they just are wind in my sails when I, when I think about all that's going on in my life and all that's going on in the world. I don't know about you guys, but I need to hear stories of people who stood up for God and said, let's return to worshiping him. Let's return to following him. And man, there's a powerful story. There's a powerful story of a king who did such that. I want to share with you this morning the person of Josiah. Josiah is an inspiration. And I share with you Josiah, not only because he's an inspiration, but we'll see here in a minute that there's this beautiful connection back to Moses in the life of Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Any eight-year-olds? in the room. I see one down here. I don't think she wants me to point her out. <laughs> All right. Maybe anybody have an eight-year-old? Yeah. Okay. They're king. <laughs> Eight years old, Josiah becomes king. And Josiah ushers in what's known as the Deuteronic return for the people of Israel. And Josiah goes in and he says, we're not doing this anymore, guys. And he destroys the temples to Baals. And he cuts down all the poles of, of pagan worship. Guys, he goes in, he digs up the graves of the pagan priests, and he burns their bones on the altar. He says, no more, Israel. No more. We are going to follow God. We are going to return to the blessings. We are going to return to doing what's right. Continue on, while they, were, while they were bringing the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, see, Josiah took up an offering and he, and he took tax money and he said, we're going to use this money to rebuild the temple. We're going we're to rehab it. We're going to fix it up and we're going to take all the pagan worship out of it and we're going to bring it back to what it is supposed to be. And while that rehab work is, come, is happening, Hilkah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to him. The book that Moses wrote was found in the temple because they underwent this rehab project. And they dusted it off. The book of Deuteronomy, HaTorah is the word that's used here. HaTorah is the word that's used in Deuteronomy when Moses says, take this HaTorah and put it into the ark. Church, this is the book. Josiah found the book. Now, maybe it wasn't the original manuscript. Maybe it had been copied and passed down, but church, that's what this is. The faithfulness of Moses to write it down and to put it into the ark is found by Josiah. And when he had heard the words of the law, he tore his robes, Scripture tells us. Church, this is a deep sign of repentance. 
So Josiah stands up and he says, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to follow God, people. And he, he finds the book of the law. And it, he's, it's read to him. And he tears his robes and he weeps in repentance. Convicted, cut to the heart. And then it says, Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, he did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Second King says this about Josiah, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength, accordance with the law of Moses. Man, that's encouraging to me. Isn't that encouraging to you this morning? This young boy stood up and said, in the midst of of all the evil and all the oppression, he had this immense amount of courage to stand up and say, let's go. We're not doing this anymore. We're going to follow God. And he went through like no other king before him, destroying all the evil in the land, all throughout the territory of Jerusalem, or of, Judea, or of Judah, in Jerusalem and in Judah. It's encouraging to me. In Josiah, we learn some valuable lessons, right? We learn about the courage to stand. We learn about the, the value and the importance of repentance. Being cut to the heart, tearing our robes, right? When convicted and when reminded of how we should live. And then he took action. He took real action. Actual action. After the, the close of 2 Chronicles and the close of 2 Kings, we don't hear anything else about Josiah. A few generations after him, the roller coaster continues. The people of God are, are sinful. Ultimately, they're, they're conquered by Babylon. Temple destroyed, land burned, remnant carried off to Babylon. And then some sev several centuries later, 400 years of silence is broken when Jesus is born. And here's what's powerful. Josiah connects us back to Moses through the book of the law. Josiah connects us to Jesus. Because in Matthew 1, verse 11, we read that Josiah the father of Jeconia and his brothers at the time of the exile in Babylon. Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. This young eight-year-old boy that became king and reigned for 31 years and was more faithful than anyone else is in the line of Jesus. Josiah connects us back to Moses and Josiah connects us forward to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful how, how clear and comprehensive, how powerful God's word can be? Why is it important 
that Josiah connects us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the greater king, right? Jesus is the better king. And Josiah did all these amazing things, but Josiah was not the Messiah. Josiah gives us a picture of the Messiah. But Jesus, Jesus being in the physical lineage of Josiah and the, the spiritual lineage of Josiah is the better king, the true king, the one king. And Jesus, and Jesus is the one that, that fulfills all all the blessings and takes away all of the curses of the law. I mean, Jesus is the king who takes the people of God off of this roller coaster of trying to obey the law and do well and then failing miserably. And Jesus is the Messiah that shows up and says, the law has been fulfilled in me. All the blessings of the law are present in me. All the curses of the law I take upon myself. He says, I am the king. Put your hope in me, your trust in me, your faith in me. Church, this is who Jesus is. He is our king. In his death on the cross, he takes on all those curses. In his resurrection, he declares, I am the king, and there will be no one like me. We put our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Moses. We thank you for Josiah. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray today that We'll sing boldly, thanking you and praising you for who you are and what you've done. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.